Isn't it a happy new year? You know, I really enjoyed over the festive season was all these radio adverts saying, say goodbye to 2020. And we know it's been one hell of a year, but there's a brand new year starting. It's like, what has changed, you cretins? It's yeah, still, I did wonder still that shit. Well. It's still, nothing has changed. The advertising community, I feel, got a lot wrong. Um, they sure did that. But you know, in in that they're 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 not exactly different to every other industry. So, <laughs> indeed not. But yes, well, welcome everyone to the listening party with Adam and Mike. If you're new here, uh, it's, it's just a podcast where I'm Mike, he's Adam. We're men of no consequence. We pick an album to uh, discuss, and that men of no consequence is an absolute guarantee. And what I can also promise is that we will not become of consequence at any point during the that- record. That is guaranteed. That's nailed on. (laughs) Zero consequence. That is a plain spoken, plain view promise. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we we pick albums which we we can love, uh, loathe, or have never really listened to, but always meant to. Uh, I'd say this week's pick, the first, it's the first double album pick that Adam chose last time once we met. Uh, this is, I think this is very much a case of albums we've not really listened to before, so a bit of a, yeah, a new choice. True. I, had, I got a copy of one of them from a charity shop when I think I was like 17, and I, I must have only listened to it once, and uh, then quickly consigned it to the, it's probably not for me, um, but I... I mean, cards on the table. I heard Paul McCartney being interviewed on Adam Box on Adam Buxton's excellent podcast, which is of much consequence. Much, and it inspired me to listen to McCartney too, which we're going to talk about today. And I really liked what I heard, and it's sort of that. And um, David Hepworth's writing has sent me on something of a Beatles and a McCartney uh, tailspin. It was often it was likely to happen. It's happened in a big way. I'm even ploughing my way through the anthology, and dear God, I'm loving every second of it. So strap in for a Beatles record, Mike, because we have given them short shrift for too long, and they are every bit as important as everybody says they are. But they're also, which to be fair, we never really denied, but they're also as good as people said, and that, I think, is something that we haven't really paid much attention to. I think that's probably fair to say. For you and I? That fortune teller earned her money that day when she promised me that one day yeah. Adam will fall hard into the Beatles. It was, it was just a matter of when. Yeah, yeah. The, the sinking sand of the Beatles. It's claimed many souls before me and now it's claiming mine. Mm. And in, in your comfortable slipper, prog listening whilst driving, millets jacket wearing life, it was, it was inevitable. Yeah, I mean... Look, I'm not denying that I've slipped into middle <laughs> age <laughs> without paying attention. I suddenly caught sight of myself in the mirror. Am I dressed like Clarkson? 
Why Why am I pulling this copy of Foxtrot off the rack to listen to on my way to work? Oh, I must do something about this. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go and listen to a, a plucky little beat combo from Liverpool. <laughs> They're bang up to the minute. They'll drag me kicking and screaming. But I don't want to live in this shit show of a year, Mike, or collection of years. Hey, 2021 is a great year. <laughs> I just, I'm just, I'm just happily be in the past. Okay, look, you look at footage of Liverpool in 1962 and so on. It looks awful, but everybody's having a nice time. Well, everybody on the footage of the Beatles playing. Um, I assume, obviously, their lives were fairly awful. It's outside your decade of choice, so it's. I mean, it's it's a holiday for you. If, if yeah, yeah, it's like ten years before my decade begins. Yeah, and you know, then a further. 13 or so years until I was actually born. So eventually I'll make it to, well, maybe the 90s, but I can't see me going any higher than that. Yeah, so what we are doing on this episode, we are essentially comparing where two former bandmates were at the same period of time. So we're yeah. going to listen to Paul McCartney's McCartney 2 from, mm-hmm. well, made in 1979. But released in 1980. Yeah. I think we, for, for ease, we're calling them both 1980 records. Yeah. And John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Double Fantasy, also released in December, I believe. Well, no, November uh, 1980. Yeah, I think so. Before we get before we get cracking, talk to me about the album covers. What do you think? Because I really like McCartney too. I think I like but, the co- I like the color treatment. Yeah, I I the think the yellows and the blues. I think they're both incredibly lazy, but one of them I love like, like more than the other, uh, which would be Paul McCartney, because I love the chutzpah of just having a shitty picture he's probably taken of himself on a Polaroid. But that suits the vibe of the album, doesn't it? It does, because it's which all is, homemade. It's all stuff he did on his own. So it's just yeah. him, you know, with, if you can imagine, listener, somebody making the face that they would make when they were going, ooh. You know, like some people say Paul McCartney, as an older gentleman, looks a bit like an owl. He's he's doing a, a bit of an owl face. I mean, he's Ooh. he's very nearly 80. You can you can forgive him. In fairness, though. <laughs> forgive him for transforming into, yeah, an owl. into an owl. It happens to us all. <laughs> um, in fairness, though, Lennon and Ono's is probably in keeping with the contents of the album because it does it's mainly an album about how nice it is to be married to one another yeah which is which is a lovely concept in itself but is it um basically b-roll from the milk and honey um album cover shoot i think so it's it's virtually virtually an identical cover except it's in color deeply deeply lazy uh, and I did read something on that Wikipedia, Tim. Uh, it was supposed to be a terribly conceptual, outrageous album cover. And literally, they just ran out of time. So I uh, just slap out the old picture on it. Yeah. And some of this album does seem outrageous and conceptual. And some of it sounds also a little lazy. I would, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Adam, and say purely of what we said so far and what album we've discussed more already, which one we potentially favour a bit more. But oh. let's, bear, let's let's this episode bear this out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let that particular piece of fruit ripen in its own time. McCartney. McCartney for the win. <laughs> uh, well, before we discuss why we prefer McCartney too. Shit, I gave it away. Uh, Adam, would you like to... 
serve up some hot piece of context? They were just both, as far as I know, they were just sort of at a loss, really. He'd like he'd split up from two bands, and he was just sorry. This is McCartney, and he's just bumming around. Hey, sorry, McCartney, the album we're here to talk about. <laughs> it's it's going to be very much a McCartney-heavy podcast with a coda, a, a side helping of that other fellow that he used to <laughs> fool around with. Um, yeah, he was just. He was sort of suffering from a, a a chronic lack of confidence. I really, I feel like we've got to make it plain early doors because, my God in heaven, if, if we thought we received some opprobrium from the Bowie community, Lord above, the, the, the Beatles community is, if anything, more feral. Um, I, I am not setting myself up as an expert at all. I've only, I'm very much at the beginning of this. I just like what I've heard. And I've done a tiny bit of a reading. I'm a tourist in your city. Absolutely. I, I, I Thank you for having us. It's lovely yeah. to be here. I want to take some very pleasant memories from it. Uh, and I'm in favour of both. I just think one of them is better. Yes, that is my position too. We we are pro... Both. Beatles, yes. Just so the Beatle Mafia don't get us. I'd say I'm even pro Ono, to be honest with you. I'm very much pro Ono and pro Bono. And, and Eno. I wasn't going to say pro bono. It was right there. <laughs> Sorry, that just reminded me. I feel we did mention this on the Dear David podcast before, but there's a, a wonderful picture of uh, Bowie and Iman's wedding where they're pictured with Bono, Yoko Ono and Eno. And someone put a caption under it saying, darling, who should we have at our wedding? He's like, oh, Bono, Ono. Bono, Ono and Eno. I love you, mad conceptual bastard. <laughs> Because sometimes the internet's all right. (laughs) Sometimes it's just all right, folks. But anyway, yes. So McCartney 2 versus Double Fantasy. Yes. The grudge match. So, yes, around this period, Paul McCartney was at a bit of a loss post-Wings. So did Wings come to like a natural conclusion or was it very much McCartney for um, wrapping this up? Well, as far as I understand it, um, I think that... Him and he and Linda had had a bit of a falling out with ex Moody Blues man Denny Lane. I, I was I was speaking with Mother the other day. She which she a big blew my face uh, off. Me too. <laughs> I, I, I my most of my adult life, I've always known that Denny Lane was the first lead singer in Moody Blues. I knew Denny Lane was in Wings. I had never connected the two until no. so. It generally blew my socks off. I mean, so the and man, my hat off my head. The man that wrote Penny Lane thought, yeah, that'll do. Got him in. He was in the Moody Blues and Wings. That's remarkable. He worked with both Paul McCartney and Ray Thomas. Can you imagine? Imagine a career that incorporated two such titanic talents. Where is the statue, Adam? It's it in Ellsbury. But they had a, uh, I believe they had a difference of opinion vis-a-vis royalties. Um, and I don't know the nature of that um, disagreement, but I would assume the disagreement went something along the lines of, hey, Paul, can I have some royalties? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> Done. <laughs> You're not Ooh. in wings anymore. 
I don't know that that's true, but it feels like it's true, and that's so much more essential. Oh, yeah, terribly so. Conjecture all the way. So yeah, so Paul up in his merry corner of Scotland, where he had a lovely farm. Uh, yep. He took it upon himself. Just by the mole. Ah, yes. Took it upon himself to just have a bit of a fiddle. He got some new toys in. He got some new electronics, did he? And for... Well, I believe he was drinking very heavily. And um, Linda some basically said to him... sounds like that. You, you've, got, you've got to get a hobby, Paul, or do something <laughs> other than be sad and drink. Um, which is good advice. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a couple of belters on the back of it. And some other songs that he made up the album with. You can, there is a vibe, isn't there, throughout? I see what you mean about you can tell that he was drinking heavily. But you can also, some of the songs don't necessarily sound finished. No. You know, it feels yeah, like, like that some of them needed a closing verse or something. Yeah, and some of them sound, you know, there's a few instrumental tracks on here. Some of them sound like a bit, I've got to invoke Bowie again, maybe that low treatment where they were instrumentals yeah. in search of lyrics which were never found. Um, in, and in the case of one particular song, it sounds almost like he found it on the cutting room floor of the low sessions and went, yeah, no, I'll have that. Yeah, great. <laughs> I would just like to say at this point, I'm not going to be attempting <laughs> Liverpoolian accents. Well, I mean, I, yours is better than mine. Well, I can do, I can do an absolute, I can do a fairly solid Scouse accent, but what I'm trying to do is the, the soft pull one, you know, like in that um, interview we did with Idris Elba. It's, it's not even there. But um, what I find fascinating about him is uh, you can tell he's being more truthful because his accent turns up a notch. Mm. And I don't know if you know this about Paul McCartney. He's actually from Liverpool. He never mentions it in interviews. Look um, oh, at me. It's definitely not every the twelfth word he says of every sentence. And you know that was back in Liverpool. Is it Paul? Was it? <laughs> is it Liverpool? Is it? You astonish me. <laughs> so yeah. So. From what I read, he put together uh, the music for this kind yep. of almost without really the intention of releasing it. It was more of an exercise, wasn't it? Of just, I'm going to have a bit of a, a dabble in the studio on my it's, own. It's what, certainly what he says about McCartney 3 as well. That's what I really like about this, um, this like three series, this three strong run of albums with years in between them. So there's like one in 1970, yeah, one in 1980, one and, and then. Obviously, just in 2020. 30 years, Because, obviously, there are other solo albums in between, but um, the thing that marks out the numbered ones is, I was just dicking about on my own. Yeah, I was in the studio. I was just mucking about in the studio, you know. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, because I've I've definitely listened to Paul McCartney's last couple of albums. I think one was called Just New, which was produced with Danger Mouse. Couldn't tell you... I know I've heard it. Couldn't tell you a single song off it. And I did listen to his last one, Egypt Station, shit it it's it sounded like what it was which was elder statesman of rock it just sounds a bit corny speaking of his elder statesman of rock status one thing i found really funny in both of those interviews is the they always ask him like what sort of music he listens to and he always gives a well seems to always give a well rehearsed answer about little richard etc and then with depressing predictability he goes and um, uh, what's his name uh, that, that fella Kanye uh, do you know yeah I worked with yeah, him for a while yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's a genius yeah. Um, yeah I've I've only just started listening to Paul McCartney interviews and listening to his records and I've heard that anecdote <laughs> 
30 times. It is like Kanye West is the most recent person yeah. he's both worked yeah, yeah. with and knows the name of, and he's clinging to that for dear life. Yeah, yeah. Even though now, Kanye is actually on the way out, really, of being current or actually anyone giving a shit because I think he's right. turned most of his fan base off him. Uh, plus, it's just a way of pop music and hip-hop as a genre. It's just... Are you telling me the man proud. who paid to have a hologram of his wife's dead father tell his wife how great her husband was? Do you mean to tell me that he doesn't have his finger on the pulse and isn't necessarily the voice of a generation anymore? I thought that was a, a, a wonderfully romantic gesture, Adam. So Paul went away to, and they toured. They did a, Did they tour with Wings one last time? Did they take one final turn? Oh, I've got to tell you, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I think that's what happened post-recording. Um, and I believe they did perform one or two songs uh, off this album. And oh, I, think I bet the, Denny loved that. I think the intention was to maybe make a Wings album, even despite your, I'm sure... Um, fully truthful uh, roundup of what the situation was with them. But I think the, the idea was maybe to do another Wings album, then they just kind of went, actually, no, we don't really fancy after this tour. So it's like, oh, do you know what? I've got all this, uh, this music there it is. Yay, go on. Yeah, I could have got a bit of music. Because it's actually incredibly satisfying to do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because it's, 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 it's very low, uh, but it's also, it's also, there's, a, there's an inherent optimism about that. No, that's, that's from Birmingham now, isn't it? <laughs> What that is, I'm just going to say that's Denny Lane. All right, all right. yeah, it works. It checks. Yeah. I'm also going to say, I will not be attempting a Yoko Ono voice in this. Under no circumstances will anybody be attempting a Yoko Ono voice. If anything, she would sound uh, amazingly clipped and British, if anything. Yeah, she's going to sound like James Fox. <laughs> one, one, one kiss for me. <laughs> yes. Um... But anyway, so yeah. Um, oh, you beautiful boys. <laughs> you little boys with, with your all little your toys. little toys. <sighs> uh. <laughs> I've just been in a ghastly film called Absolute Beginners. <laughs> Absolutely no idea what was going on, but Burkhoff was there. Uh, so yeah, so Paul just put uh, this stuff he'd been working on in his shed out and uh, he, he made a bubble too. Uh I think well, at it, the time it, it got an absolute pasting at the time. I was going to say at the time it didn't. It was not received well, was it? But no. But I think he's one of these. I mean, he's always suffered in comparison to Lennon, mm. particularly after 1980. I was going to say for one. To, I mean, to sound trite about it, for having your Dassey to still be alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he wasn't. He was allowed to. Uh, well, I mean, age withered him, and the years condemned. He was allowed to become mediocre, silly, yeah. in, as his voice. Well, not fails because I, th I think he still sounds quite good. I mean, McCartney three, but McCartney three sounds like an old man singing. Yeah, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. It worked yeah. with Bowie. It worked with Leonard Cohen. It does work, but he can't possibly reach the notes he was reaching when he was twenty one. No. That's just life. The only person that can do that is Justin Hayward. But yes. sounds beautiful. Oh, gets stronger every day. <laughs> but it's it's only really seemingly in the last, what, six or seven years, maybe slightly more, when he started to turn the corner of of rehabilitation in, you know, he's become cool again. I think he stopped being 
Paul, let's wheel him out at a sporting event to do Hey Jude McCartney. Yeah. All that nonsense with uh, the tabloid shit with his ex, uh, Heather Mills. And his badly dyed hair. His badly, yes, yes, he's finally allowed himself to just go white gracefully, which is always the better look. It really is. It really is. Look at Ray Davies. Oh, dear Ray, just let it go, please. It's you've got to accept nobody is nobody suddenly going to look at that and go, hang on. I know for a fact that you were active in 1965. How is your hair this unnatural shade of chestnut? Nobody's going to be fooled by it. So just let it happen. I mean, he's also clearly had work done, but I would say he looks very good. The, but he's only yeah, he's only recently started to turn it round. And I think he's now cool again instead of mm. because for a while, of course, his reputation was that Lennon was the interesting avant garde one. And uh, McCartney churned out lovely melodies, yeah, and, and, and sappy and, sort of sentimental lyrics, which is not true. Yeah, and George was really everyone's underdog favourite, who is actually is more of a connoisseur's choice. Like, actually, have you considered the George? I mean, he's got yet, a lot nobody, to recommend. Nobody ever says that Ringo is the connoisseur's choice, and, do they? <laughs> Who will vouch for poor Ringo? Well, this um, there is a, a Beatles podcast which I've started listening to, uh, called My Own Personal Beatles. Does he have? Uh, and you listen to it here and there. But they, they their theory is that when you, I think it, I'm, I'm probably misremembering it, but when you everybody starts out, Ringo is the favourite because of Thomas the Tank Engine, and you've got lovely yeah, fond yeah, memories yeah. of that. Yeah, then yeah. you probably go to Lennon because he's the cool spiky one, and he doesn't even give an f. Yeah, man. Then you probably think it's Harrison because he's the underdog choice. And then when you finally settle into your adult self, you go, actually, McCartney really is the man. He's got the longevity. He's got the staying power. And crucially, he's not dead. Yeah, and, and to be fair, even if you look for his solo stuff, he's, he's got some big songs in there, which for the longest time I mistook as Beatles songs. I was thought maybe I'm amazed was a Beatles song. Exactly, yeah, that's, that was my, my first choice. Thinking and it's, that, yeah. that's and one hell of a song, isn't it? It is a great song. And it's, again, it's a bit of a cliche, but Band on the Run is a great album. And Yeah, it is. Know, there's, I, there's a, about half of Band on the Run um, are... Our personal perennial favourites. Yeah, 1985. It's an absolutely brilliant song. Yeah, I really like Mrs. Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, I mean, Jet. You know. Jet, I mean, I really like Jet, but I can't actually listen to it now without thinking of Partridge. So, yeah. It, I mean, it's sort of spoiled, but also sort of enhanced. <laughs> yeah, so around the same time, what was Mr. John Lennon doing? Um, memory fails me because it's been a long day, but um, it was. I was very happy. He'd, he'd come out but, of his lost weekend, hadn't he? And he'd he started. I think he just started enjoying his life more. I think yeah, he'd been so, through quite a lot of therapy. I think so. So immediately leaving the Beatles, him and Yoko start releasing a few albums together, do a few joint with the Plastic Ono Band. They do their marriage album, which is like their conceptual. Uh, I know it's always conceptual, just very experimental, bloopy bloopy album. Uh, They just spend a lot of time pissing people off with their musical choices. They break up and go through their their famous 18-month lost weekend period. Yeah, and during that lost weekend period, he went and helped co-write Fame with Bowie very drunkenly. Uh, He did a lot of drinking with Harry Nilsson. 
uh, and produced an album or two for him. Uh, yeah, and then eventually they got back together. They had a son, Sean, and yeah, like I say, he spent five years just being. Yeah, they had a son called happy. Sean, and didn't we bloody know about it? I eh? oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he spent five years essentially just living in New York, being happy with his wife and child, and then eventually was like, yeah, Do you know occasionally, what like? occasionally yeah. arguing with the United States government about whether or not he was allowed to live there. Yeah. I didn't realize he just never came back to the UK after like 1971 or something. He just he just lived in America. Fair enough. Yeah, as was his want. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So I mean, so Double Fantasy was in a way his comeback album, Uh, and yet it was it was never going. I mean, obviously, we'd all prefer it if he hadn't been murdered by a man whose name I'm not going to say because that was precisely the purpose of killing him, wasn't it? But yeah, the this album, left to its own devices, would not have done well. No, so when it came out, it because it, it came out what three weeks before he was killed, two yeah. or three weeks, and the the initial reviews upon its release were middling at best. So I was don't it, think it got it, quite this. Was it Sorry, Charles yeah. Shah Murray that said um, that the sound of this album is just? John and Yoko being happy, and I'm delighted for them. I just don't yeah. understand why anybody should have to listen to it. Or yeah, this like, album only happy. really makes sense if you are married to Yoko Ono. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm very happy for you, but why yeah. do we need to hear this? Uh, yeah, I, I, it, I don't disagree. I don't think it got quite as harsh a reception as Paul McCartney did, but it was very much a middling. No, response. but this is just it, isn't it? I mean, I would say that Double Fantasy for nine if you're if you are who they are i mean you can't exactly divorce it from context lennon's half of the album are quite straightforward conventional songs very much so yeah which is probably what people want yeah and it's it's one of those things uh, once again i'm going to invoke dear david but black star when it came out and i'm very happy i spent two days solidly with black star so i formed an opinion of it because yes, absolutely. two days later when he died the album took on an entirely different thing, which it's yeah, now yeah, stopped. Yeah. Which I is, completely it's, agree. It's, it's his, um, you know, it's his farewell album. Where, you know, and Double Fantasy, I think, after his death, it took on a whole new uh, wistful and tragic response mm. because it is the sound of someone in absolute joy of living with his wife and his oh, son. Yeah. No, you, and you, then you, you, you listen to that. it back and it's just like, oh my God, it's such a heartbreaking listen now. And it's tragic because he, as you say, he he had finally achieved happiness. He'd had a fairly miserable life, really. So yeah. his dad left him. Yeah. His yeah. mum wasn't allowed to look after him. He's raised by his auntie. And then by the time he's, what, 18, he's already one of the most famous people on the planet to the point where it becomes debilitating. And finally, finally has achieved some measure of solace. And, he, and then he's literally... shot. Yeah, he's literally written an album which Charles Murray says he's telling us all about how happy he is. I'm yeah. happy for you. And, and it's, it's very rare you get that. And then, oh my goodness, uh, the guy's yeah. been murdered. It's just been taken away from him. I think if we if we try to, if we take it as read, obviously, that is, it's uh, indescribably tragic. The album itself, just yes. in and of itself, has not undergone the same rehabilitation as McCartney too. No. And I don't think it ever will. 
No. So I think at this point, we're just, just going to caveat the way we usually do on the show, we actually go through the albums track by track. But as we're discussing two albums here, we'd be here for ages. So this time around, we're going to talk a bit more generally about what we like. And yeah, this is a bit more of a chat. Probably should have said this right up top, but hey, hey ho, here we are. But yes, yeah, hey, um, you've made it this far. I presume you're all right anyway. Hey, welcome, buddy. But yeah, no, uh, McCartney 2, as I said, at the time had quite hostile reviews and it's very much grown in stature over the years. And I think people, I think both as a standalone album, but also within the catalogue of Paul McCartney, see it as a very experimental record and songs that really hold up now and sound mm. experimental now. Whereas, like you say, on Double Fantasy, they're pretty standard rock songs. Some of Apart them sound... Apart from Ono's, the John Lennon side of things, uh, I I would go so far as to say some of them sound a bit kitsch because they're 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 trying to sound like throwback era rock and roll songs. I was going to say he appears to be doing a vague impression of Elvis on a couple of these tunes. Yeah. So I mean, my first thought is I um, the very first track um, starting over. It's got, you know, 50s doo-wop style to it. Yeah, and to be honest with you, apart from... I, I quite like the song, apart from the doo-woppy bits in the background, mm. which I really could live without. And I would imagine in 1980, most people could live without them as well. Probably, yeah. Um, yeah, but... And then clean-up time, I think, just sounds a bit... Throw away cleanup. It's just a throwaway rock song. Kind of thing. And, you know, nothing really stands out, I don't think, from Lennon's side. I think I'm losing. I, I do enjoy I'm losing you, I'm moving on. As to oh, kind of. I, I'm, part I'm losing one, part you. Two. I'm losing you is the one where he describes being in a stranger's bedroom. Mm. And, um, you know, the. What sounds like the agony of conscience. And I think that's that's quite affecting. You you would almost, I could, I could be completely wrong, but you would almost assume that he had that song, like in the bag from, yeah. Well, the the period of his life he's just gone through was my reading of it, and mm. thought, do you know what? That's too good to waste. And also, I haven't written any others <laughs> because I just that's... can't think of any other rhymes for how much I think Yoko and Sean are great, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter, presumably, how unpleasant this must be for my, what would I imagine was a teenage Julian at this point to listen to. Because that must have stank. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. Poor Julian. God, and Cynthia, can you imagine? In fact, there's a lovely story about Paul McCartney doing the rounds with Cynthia, because obviously she had not received perhaps her due from the from Lennon and was having to sell a letter that he'd written for her while he was away on tour, back when they were together. Um, it went to a mystery bidder for a lot of money, and then it arrived in a frame back at her house with a note from Paul saying, I think this actually belongs to you. Because he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just had the person who won it beaten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think this belongs to the young lady. Yeah. Sorry, that was Bowie there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also our friend John. <laughs> hello john but yeah um though you're right about i'm losing you and then i like the response 
of I'm Moving On, which is probably another song Yoko had written down in mid-70s. But if we if we contrast that with Coming Up, which is this arresting, exciting, just incredible piece of sort of talking heads-ish. Yes, fun. yeah. So we're switching over to McCartney 2 all of a sudden. I thought we'd just do a little bit of both, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just keeping everyone up to speed for those who aren't that familiar with the album. Yeah, so the, the, the counterpart opening track on McCartney 2 is called Coming Up, and it sounds like something Talking Heads would have written. It, it's very David Byrne. It's incredibly David Byrne, and crucially, it passed the My One-Year-Old Daughter test. as One. she, she, I mean, I will say she found Temporary Secretary a little bit grating, She's track two, but she thoroughly enjoyed coming up and did a little dance to it, which means that the song will always have a warm place in my heart. That's lovely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so I, I'd i never heard this until a few weeks ago, and I have to admit I was a little bit, oh, okay, let's listen to this Paul McCartney album. You do this uh, for all of my choices. I, I do. I really do. Um, I'll never learn. Uh, and as soon as coming up came on, I genuinely did go, oh, hang on a minute. Ooh, what's <laughs> yeah. this? Oh, hello. You can see yeah. what put it at number one, can't you? Oh, yeah. No, this is uh, this completely gets you right out of the gate. And yeah, it's just lovely. I just Something I really realised on this album uh, is just Paul McCartney is very good at just turning a very simple, almost chintzy turn of phrase and just make it you know really making song out of it so just the phrase i'm coming up like a flower which me just saying out loud sounds cheesy as balls but the way he sings it sounds so like yeah and he's got really heavily treated vocals of it as well mm. so it just sounds cool even though mm. as you say the lyric the only lyric in it is i'm coming up like coming a flower like a flower yeah it's just got a really he's got some lovely um funky bass throughout this album but certainly on coming up it's yeah yeah this is very much like he has been listening to post uh punk new york stuff around this point well i i got the sense in this record that um mccartney was maybe keeping his ears open for what was happening then and there more than lennon was Oh no! Again, different story. But Lennon certainly, as you say, is is often harking back. And he, yeah. McCartney does a little bit of sort of nineteen fifties navel gazing as well, but not as much. It, it's no, not. No. It's not his. Uh, it's not his main trick. Yeah, and I think I read again, possibly a Wikipedia thing, but um, McCartney's saying around a time that he was trying to keep his hand in musically and just he would go to gigs for stuff that he wasn't even necessarily interested in personally but he just thought oh yeah this might be quite good if I should go have a look at this so there's something about him saying he went to see John Cage at the South Bank Centre not really understanding any of John Cage's work or being a, 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 an appreciator of it but it's just like oh yeah there's just someone some people say I should uh, check him out so I just went along yeah, and no, I just thought I'd go along and have a little bit of a look you know as he just Being from hang- Liverpool, as I may well have mentioned, I haven't actually heard a lot of John Cage. <gasps> Liverpool? <gasps> Liverpool. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's the biggest t- contrast of the albums. And, uh, you know, on John Lennon's, you've got a doo-wop throwback. McCartney's, you've got something that sounds very current and different to what else Paul McCartney had done before, 
Whereas yeah. John Lennon, I mean, I think John Lennon's last album before us was literally his rock and roll album, which was his covers of 50s rock and roll numbers. Mm. So yeah. it was almost just a continuation of for him as an artist. Whereas Paul McCartney's like, oh, look, I found this little machine. It goes, boo, 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 boo. Yeah, and if there's one thing, I'm um, sorry, we're moving on to track two of the same McCartney record. Keep if up, everyone. One thing I always really, really like the sound of is early analog synthesizers. Going mad. <laughs> Just, and the, the, cause clearly the people like playing with them, many of whom were like big musicians because they're the only people that could afford them, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The first, they they cost going, thousands Just uh, initially. You know, I found out I could make this noise repeat all the way through. I thought, you know, that's quite good. And then, and then I, thought, I thought of the phrase temporary secretary, you know. and I, just, I love temporary secretary. It sounds simultaneously completely of its time, but also fresh as a daisy. Because it's so really unexpected. Does. Yeah. I'm. Um, this is the only song I'd heard from the album previously, because someone played it to me almost as a joke years ago. So... Did you ever hear this song Paul McCartney did in the 80s? He put it on to me, for me, thinking I would start laughing at it. But I was very much like, this, this, is, this is great. great. <laughs> yeah. This is great. He was like, oh, this is a song Paul McCartney did in the 80s called Ted Bruce Secretary. I was like, it's great. Can, yeah. can we have more of this? Unfortunately, um, the rest of the record doesn't really sound like the first two songs. Uh, no, but, you know. but there's still much to enjoy. But again, what an, an opening salvo of those two tracks yeah. is superb. I mean, I, I, I can understand why someone wouldn't like Temporary Secretary. For one, the refrain of Temporary Secretary and the way he treats his voice to say it can get grating. Because he yes. does it, Temporary Secretary, which repeated a lot, it does start to yeah, grate yeah, a little yeah. bit. And I can tell you that the um, the two women I share my life with, um, mm. one of whom's one, one of whom's 31, do not care for it. <laughs> No. So it really um, crossing the uh, the like the boundaries of age, and I would say class because the one year old's an absolute cretin. But the <laughs> they have no interest in temporary secretary at all. So I was just really because I I really enjoy just the um the lyrics of the, the continuing appearance of Mr. Marx throughout the song. Well, apparently Mr. Marx is like was an old comedian or something, mm. and he just thought oh, I just thought it'd be funny, you know. <laughs> Yeah, because when I first heard you it, do I you, I Paul. Some, you do you. I thought some, for some reason it had something to do with Karl Marx, and I thought he was making a grand statement about um, oh, about like about the word that seizing the means of production. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. So I thought his his spin on you know, uh, yeah, um, yeah, Soviet Russia. I, I wonder whether or not it was Howard Marx, you know, the um, popular drug smuggler. Mm, yeah. I, uh, I could, I could also, we yeah. were both wrong. Uh, it was hey, it was the answer was TV comedian. So if you had that, tick it off at home. But if you've not heard Temporary Secretary, I mean, this is a song that it then became quite uh, a cult hit for a while in dance clubs, just because the the rhythm of it, the beat of it, is just obscene. The speed of the song, and that mix of analog synth and still he's got his acoustic guitar in there mm. uh, it's just such a silly song and it's so enjoyable oh, it's, it's, because that's what it sounds a... like is unfettered creativity like i've just i've discovered this uh it might be a bit rough around the edges but i think there's, there's, there's something there so have a listen I mean, to it 
it feels very much like he's pressed the demo button on his keyboard and it's gone haywire. And there's probably a degree there because the lyrics are relatively bawdy and tongue-in-cheek. It could be classed now as kind of misogynist song. But as we've said previously, a lot of songs, if you, you know, if you look back that way, could also be titled that brush. Yeah. A lot of songs. Is it, though? I mean, I suppose it might be. I haven't read it in that detail. I've just always... I've just I mean, always we, enjoyed it at purely face level. I mean, it's, it's quite a uh, um, are you being served style story of a man just asking for a temporary secretary so he can have his way with her. Oh, I assumed he needed help with admin. Well, he needs a bit of that, but then he can... Uh, wait, 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 wait. Shut up. Do you mean she's not purely there by virtue of her typing? No, he cut that first verse out. <laughs> it's the end of the financial year. I've got a lot of receipts need processing. Arts! It's coming up in April. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. But it's a hugely enjoyable song, isn't it? And one of the things that I find so absolutely intoxicating about the man is his seemingly boundless enthusiasm for just creative endeavour. Like... Yeah, no, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, good for you. It's it's press a, a, that button, Paul. Press the demo button again, Paul. I think it's a treat. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a great song. Great song, everyone. Check it. Meanwhile, on Double Fantasy, <laughs> <laughs> Yoko has picked up the <laughs> mic. I'm uh, just going to say, hands down, on John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Double Fantasy, I much prefer the Yoko Ono songs. Yeah. I really enjoy all of them. Well, Two points. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say I really enjoy them, um, but I, I think they're interesting. I think it's Kiss, 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 isn't it, this one? Kiss, Kiss, Kiss is fantastic. It's yes, it is. Surfer guitar vibe. Tell you what they sound like. They, and um. Oh, I meant to look up the years and completely and utterly forgot. There is a very distinct Klaus Nomi vibe to a number of Yoko Ono's ones. And I don't know if he was listening to her or she was listening to him, but they are similar. And there's a, a couple of tracks where I genuinely think she doesn't sound dissimilar to Grace Jones. Invoking Grace uh. Jones again. And also there's one song which really sounds like Abracadabra, I want to read down and cry. Yeah, It's got well, the same bass line. There's one of her songs uh, which sounds a little bit like the theme tune to Goodnight Sweetheart. So, Yes, yes, that's probably the one I don't enjoy so much. No, because it's the theme to Goodnight Sweetheart and even <laughs> if it isn't, it should be. Good night, sweet. I'm not doing the accent. No. <laughs> I'm not doing, I'm not doing not, it. I'm not touching it, mate. I'm not going anywhere near it. Go, hey, 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 no, hey. James Fox can sing it. Yeah. Good <laughs> night. It's about night. it's about Gary Sparrow, John. Goes back in time. Thank you, James Fox. Give me um, something. Give me something. Ooh, kiss, kiss, kiss. And I'll tell you this. I'll say this for Yoko. She does. Possibly the most convincing bit of sex noise I've ever heard at the end of this song. It may well be that it was. An, it may well be that it was an entirely legitimate, an authentic knee trembler in the recording studio. But if it was synthesised in many ways, that's even more impressive because I was just listening to it earlier and going, 
Do you know what? I, I feel like I should. I feel like I should close the curtains at the very least. <laughs> Take my jumper off. This sounds absolutely, absolutely real. Could just imagine Yoko sat there with her honey and lemon tea. Go, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> That's the noises you make. Just, oh, oh yes, oh, oh my, yes. oh, 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 yum, 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 yum. <laughs> oh my goodness me. <laughs> Heavens. And finally, one big, that's the ticket, and all done. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, have you quite finished? (laughs) Oh, yes. Keep pedalling. Lovely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you've you've got to give her that. Damned and authentic. (laughs) Terribly authentic. sex noises. No, no, yeah, I I went a bit... um, Freddie Howard. Frankie Howard, when Frankie oh. Howard. Ooh. Ooh. No, no, stop it. No, Ooh. no. Uh, yeah, kiss, kiss, kiss. I When that kicked in after starting over, I did think, oh, uh, John, got to pick up your game here a bit. Ooh. Uh, Yoko, yeah, Yoko yeah. has got sex noises. A challenge that he, he fails to match <laughs> for, for the rest of his <laughs> yeah. album. I mean, he, I'll say this, though. He's got. He has a very nice line in just laceratingly honest. Like that, some of the songs are. He's so good at sort of nailing emotions. Oh like, yeah. So I, I think his the two um, emotional bedrocks of the album: should "Beautiful Boy" and "Woman." Yeah, yeah. Uh, two wonderful with... songs. Yeah, beautiful yeah. boy. Uh, Darling boy is is so heart wrenching, and it's it, but it's almost like when he's singing, he can let himself do that, and it's mm. for me ever so slightly spoiled by what sounds like an affected Swansea accent right at the very end, where he goes, "Good night, John. I'll see you in the morning, bright <laughs> and early." That what? sounds like some Why kind is... of Welsh Welsh demon, like a Krampus. Yeah, well, that sounds Good night, Sean. <laughs> Well, because it's because it's alarmingly close to old Dicky Burton. <laughs> good night, Sean. Good, good night, Sean. <laughs> I'll see you in the morning, bright and early. <laughs> no need for it, John. Let yourself let yourself be vulnerable. Just mm. do the song without that at the end. What I did notice listening back to it just today is. On all the Lennon songs, particularly, he he can't just let himself be that earnest. It's like that old Frank Zappa thing yeah. of, oh goodness, I've come up with this amazing riff. I best spoil it by making a fart sound all of a sudden. Oh, Every Zappa's the, entire career in a nutshell. Yeah, all of John Lennon's songs on this album have either like just only like snippets, but like either um, studio noise or a bit of a joke or a little bit of a segue in them. If it's not needed, and like nope. Beautiful Boy. Nope, nope, nope. Which is this wonderful nursery rhyme to his son and just so heartfelt, so earnest. And then it has this kind of jokey finish to it, which just then destroys any kind of emotion you've built up in those last four minutes. Well, it makes you feel silly for having gone with him. Yeah, it does. It, does. it makes you feel right. like, have I, have I been suckered in here? Is this not actually how you feel then? Is this just is this just another one of your stupid Lennon bits of acerbic... I'm going. I'm using the word humour in inverted commas. You know when people said it was humour and he was actually just yeah. being cruel. Well, well, Dickie Burton was never known as a great comedian. 
No, no, and yet he's he's a loss to comedy with <laughs> with that voice. Built for slapstick, Richard Burton. And uh, I mean, presumably he fell over an awful lot. He was very drunk, <laughs> terribly drunk. Couldn't remember he was married to half the time. No. Although when he inevitably pissed himself when he fell over, that probably made it would have added a little bit of pathos. <laughs> I'm picturing that scenario in my head now. One of them's really funny, the other one's desperately sad. Yeah, really blatant. And, <laughs> and both of them don't change one iota. It's just my reaction to them. Oh, hey! I think basically it's just it's all down to the editing. Whatever music, whatever track you put on the back of it. I mean, yeah. if you. Like he falls over it, and then you hear, Woman, I can hardly express. And he's pissed himself. Suddenly, everybody's crying. If you put temporary secretary on in the background, we're laughing. <laughs> I was imagining a bar scene now where Richard versus fallen over, stood up and just looked down on himself, Lads, lads. And we all look down, dejected, as Woman by John Lennon plays for four minutes. <laughs> no one says a word. Not a dry eye in the house. Or dry trouser. Or dry trouser of your old Dicky Burton. <laughs> oh, Dicky. Oh, Dicky. But yes, uh, yeah, because Beautiful Boy is sort of the, um, the father and son of the album. It's the, uh, of course, it's a lovely song, you bastard. Yeah, who could argue of Beautiful Boy? Yes, it's it's over the top and it's, it's, it's overly heartfelt. It's schmaltzy. But dear God, it's a beautiful song because he's written it for his actual son, who yeah, he refers to by name in it. When he says wonderful. Darling Sean at the end of the song, it always, I, I, I can't say I've ever actually cried to the song, but it always gets me in the feels. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to dwell on the fact, but obviously I've only had a kid for a year. There are no others that I'm aware of. <laughs> Bleeding my estate dry. But... <laughs> Uh, I, I had listened to this song again with sort of new ears and thought that's that's absolutely jaw-dropping. How on earth, how can you write something so simple and yet so utterly devastating mm. in a good way? It's one, a wonderful, a, a work of art. Yeah. Which is then obviously got, good night, Sean, see you in the morning. <laughs> Bollocked on the end of it. <laughs> as indeed Dickie was as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's bollocked on him, didn't it? I'm not going to do the voice. I'm not going to do the voice. But uh, John, and does does Dickie need to be here in the studio? I'm afraid, yeah, he does. It's absolutely essential to my process. <laughs> See, it's a little bit higher, isn't it? A bit higher. I, I, I can hear it. I can hear the difference. One of the great actors, me, Mike. One of the greats. <laughs> you there with Dickie. And yes, me. Me playing all of the Beatles. Yeah. Next to Dickie Burton, Dickie Harris. Dicky Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Dicky Harris. Wow, what film was that from? All of them. All of them in the, in the last 10 years. All of them. Didn't he sound, didn't he sound unwell? Well, he was. Other signs are there. You watched the first Harry Potter film. We're going to tell me he doesn't look like he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Big white beard doesn't help matters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, he looks magical, but he looks at least 200 years old. Only two years of that's makeup. <laughs> and a big hat. I also am very well disposed to Richard Harris. <laughs> I'm just going to make that plot. I like all of these people. Thank God you've given us some clarity on your stance on Richard Harris. 
staunchly pro. I, I even own his album that would have Richard Harris sings the songs of Jimmy Webb. I have it's no not doubt. It's just the Park, although perhaps it should have been. <laughs> should have been. <laughs> I have no doubt at some point in this endeavour that will rear its ugly head. We were talking, we talked McCartney up so much about how he was, a, in this record, quite a forward-facing guy. And then I realised that we're about, the old bluesman in him is about to come out. Old Merseyback himself is about to come to the fore. And then you've got some, with some sub-Clapton guitar. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Is that uh, on on the way? Is yeah. That, yeah, I quite like on the way. Oh, I don't mind it, but I can't go as far as to say I like it. Um, I think possibly because I've, I've, I've really taken against bluesy songs at the moment. I'm sure I'll come this, back down to them, but I've, I've, I've gone against them. Is this your direct reaction to Eric Clapton and Van Morrison's anti-vax song? I, I will say that, that has not helped. <laughs> My feelings about Eric Clapton have, have been fairly dim uh, since I basically actually read the stuff he said on stage about, you know, how Britain needs to be kept white and uh, thought, oh, Jesus Christ, another heroin-addicted millionaire. Well, yeah, Berating I will start minorities. In... Awful business. And Van Morrison has been insane for years, but... Yeah. Yeah, my feelings on them have taken a bit of a hit, um, and that hasn't helped my liking of this song. I know I quite like it. It's, you know, it's yeah, there's an element of blues to it, but again, I feel like he, uh, McCartney's playing around with it, allowing it more space to give, thereby making it a bit more experimental in a way because he's playing around with the form a he's little got, bit. I like it, the treated vocal. Yeah, I mean, it's a treated vocal. It's got a lot of echo on it. It's a very sparse song. So I like that about it. So I don't think that... Yeah, I can see what you mean. It's got a blues vibe to it, but I don't think of it as a blues song. But, um, yeah, it, for me, again, it kind of fits in nicely with the more experimental element of it because I feel like he's playing around with just allowing a bit of silence in there as well. Yeah, I can just, see that. Stri- and stripping it back, baby. Just strip it back. For me... It's an amuse-bouche, though, before we get to Waterfalls, which is track four. Mm. But I think the, 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 the sort of the earnest naivety of Waterfalls is so lovely. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's beautiful. But Waterfalls would be a good example of a sort of song that I don't necessarily think is finished. Yeah, it's it does sound very unfair. It's, it's a classic McCartney in, again, turning very... Childlike terms of phrase, but so just cut you to the quick yeah. in terms of uh, uh, loveliness. And just, you know, I, you know what are the lines? I need you like a second needs an hour. I like, think uh, I've got a theory um, that there was something about this sort of the confluence of circumstance of the 60s that meant that, I don't know, maybe it was because it was so close to the post-war era or because they were there was like the that that generation were making a conscious effort to be more sort of emotionally available or whatever 
mm. because obviously many of their parents were dealing with massive trauma. But there is there's something really open-minded about a 60s musician. There's there's such enormous optimism. And the fact that the, there's no cynicism there. They don't need to come up with a better, or sorry, a more arch lyric. I need you like um, a second needs an hour or a raindrop like, needs a shower. Needs a shower. I mean, if you see it, see it written down, you think that that's just terrible poetry. But when it's like put, a garden it's, needs a flower, when it's put next to the that that lovely, that beautiful melody, the melodies mm. like that that just seem to pour out of him, seemingly effortlessly. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly got a good ear for that type of thing, but mm. for just putting notes together. But I, yeah, I think Waterfalls is 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 well. Beautiful is is the oh, best word for it. It's lovely. Yeah, and it's such a sparse song as well because it's just him on electric um, piano with occasional bit of synth in it during the chorus. Yeah, and his voice doesn't sound treated, but it sounds fragile. In a... yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a very it's it's almost got a haunting quality to it because yeah, it, it it does feel it feels like such a lonely song as well. It, Purely because of like sparseness of the, or the, the music on it and and that fragility in his voice, uh, yeah, no, it's it's essentially the beautiful boy of McCartney too. It's the, it's the emotional core of the album. But in a in a strange way, it's given that McCartney's reputation was that he was the you know the sentimental one, mm. and Lennon was the you know the antithesis so, of that, the surly one. It's Lennon that has written the story, the songs where you you very clearly know what they're about. Waterfalls could be something that he's written for anybody. He doesn't. It's not clear who it's for. You'd assume it's for Linda or one of his kids or something or all of his kids, but it could be anything. It could just. It could be an idea that just flew into his head. It's not as he's not as emotionally open as Lennon is being, despite their contrasting reputations, which is what I think is fascinating. Yeah. Because it's like the these albums, these records, well, they they give truth to the lies, don't they? The or the certainly the stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. very very good point. Very good point. Well, I was pleased with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. Thanks. Yeah, Sometimes what just... I like to do is uh, have a thought as I'm saying it. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's what happened there. Jeepers! Oh, yeah, I look forward I've... to more of those. Hopefully, it will sound reasonably astute in the edit rather than just the, the ramblings of a man that I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, but unfortunately, I'm just going to put the sound of Godzilla over all of that. And <laughs> Adam, you've gone mad! Well, I mean, it's only a matter of time before you phase me out entirely and it becomes this entire enterprise <laughs> becomes just given way to. Well, yeah, your adventures in sound effects and slapstick. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Dickie Burton's here. <laughs> yeah, it's just a shame then that Waterfalls is followed up by Nobody Knows, which is a relatively throwaway number on the album. Like it. Yeah, it's fine. It's just I like it's that as... noise. Oh, oh yeah, but it's, you know, it's <laughs> the same way. If, um, on the way is his. Playing around with blues in terms Ooh, of the blues. Then front par, sorry, not front par. Nobody knows. There's more of him playing around country, yes. and bl bluegrass, but through machines. 
Yes. Yes. And then you have this next free salvo of songs, which could almost be the um, the side two of Heroes or Low for it. Yeah. Which, uh, it's, you know, it's front parlor. Remind- I'm going to have to just play it for a second. Because it's front parlor, the one that sounds a little Great. bit like it should be the um, theme tune to something like Tomorrow's World. Yeah, yes, it is. It's, yes, it is. <laughs> it's Great. that. It's the top line, isn't it? It's a very cheerful number. Coming up, we go to Japan to investigate. It's yeah. It does sound like it could be the theme tune to a kid's TV show as well. But I like it. But a kid's a kid's show. It's it's like it's a Blue Peter style show or a Tomorrow's World. Ideally, it's teaching children about technology in the future. And and not the future that we actually have, which is years from now, there'll be a program called Microsoft Teams, and it's going to ruin your life. (laughs) In Hunger City. Remember when you had jobs that were reasonably sociable, and uh, now what you do is stare at a screen for eight hours and You're on on mute! You cut! Oh, hello, welcome to the meeting. But, front parlour, eh? Yeah, well, the theme tune to... I don't know. Yeah, tomorrow's world. And then it's followed up by Summer's Day Song, which is again, it's just a delightful number. In some ways, it could be considered quite uh, downbeat. Well, it I think sounds he... almost more like a Christmas song, but it's about summer. Yeah, I think he's he's trying for in his newfangled machines. Uh, he's trying to go for lazy summer day haze, yeah. whereas it does sound a little bit more tortured than that. <laughs> It does. I mean, it's the precursor to Skylarking, isn't it? Where they yes, very where, much. But they actually pulled off the hazy summers vibe, and they really he's, did. Quite he's produced something quite much more melancholy. Yes, melancholy is the word for it. Yeah, it almost sounds like it could be the uh, the soundtrack to the scene in 1984 when they actually get out of oh, the yeah, city yeah. for a spell. Yeah, it sounds like it could be that, which I think I've also used as a reference point in a previous podcast. It's okay, because um, based on social media, Mike, 1984 is everybody's cultural touchstone at the moment, and it seems like most of those people have not read the book. But, um, <laughs> I heard of it once. Yeah. Some people have told me something I disagree with. It's Orwellian. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. But please, please. It's Kafkaesque, I tell you. It's... Oh, yeah, somebody wrote online that uh, Orwell means somebody told me something I didn't agree with and Kafka asked me somebody told me something I didn't agree with and I had to fill in a form (laughs) (laughs) which is superb yeah so some of the day's song yeah Uh, do do we think he's going for melancholy or he's trying to sound a bit more upbeat but it's just coming across a bit sad I don't know it's a hard one to call because there's no question that he has not if he is shooting for uh, lovely summer's fate, perhaps cricket on the green, maybe a pint of something with affable company. Yeah, he hasn't pulled, and the sound of always, the sound of lawnmowers in the distance. Oh. He's not pulled that off. No, He's gone for, yeah, I don't know, maybe you're... Enjoy this now because we're all quite ill. Yeah, you're 10 years old and you're aware that you've got to go back to school in three days. <laughs> and you're not quite sure where the six weeks has gone. <laughs> 
but you've even been to WH Smith and you've already got your stationery, so there's not even that to look forward to. It's just, it's all dead. No, no turning back now. No, it's just going to be Microsoft Teams from here on in. Jesus. As you listen to your teacher go, I don't know. I don't know why you can't hear me. It's not working. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> it's great. Really love my job. It's great. Oh, dear. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, the, the last song of this triptych, which, with an unfortunate title, yeah, hasn't um, aged well. A title that perhaps... Oh, well, you mean, you can't help but think it's probably a misguided reference to his erstwhile best friend's new wife. You'd hope it wasn't, but no. it seems like it would be one hell of a coincidence otherwise. You know the... That's the same, the same sort of basic tune as Kraftwerk used in Computer Love. And then mm. Coldplay would later use in one of their popular hits. And then, uh, I, and it's very, very similar to one that Lennon uses as well. Mm. I don't know if it's just something about the pitch of that keyboard that just leads the fingers to behave in a certain mm. way. But that's that now, top was, line is uncannily similar, I think. Was Computer Love after this? Do you know, I'm not sure, but I will find out. I feel like Computer Love's one of their mid-80s albums. I think so. It's the one with the striking yellow cover. Yeah, the Lello one. Uh, uh, released in 1981 on the studio album Computer World. Ah. No, I, I really like... Uh, it's also entirely possible like... that Kraftwerk were not listening to Paul McCartney's solo albums. Um, it doesn't really feel like it would be in their, their milieu. No. But, uh, yeah, no, I do I do like... Uh, it's, it's, the song is called Frozen Jab. Um, it, it's, it's also unfortunate because I picked up this on vinyl now in the last couple of weeks, and in the gatefold... Uh, there is uh, there's a few pictures of Paul just having a bit of a laugh with some funny faces. One oh, of them no. does involve no, no, no. some comical glasses and him making a face. And is it, that, not... is it the face I'm thinking of? Is it the face yes, we're all thinking of? It's 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 not very PC face. And then tied in with the title of this song, it's like it's not aged well, Paul. Damn it, Paul. Paul. We can't keep using them as a punchline, Paul. I know you're from a different generation. Mm. And I know that, yeah, in fairness, people from that generation had deep-seated views on the Japanese a lot of the time. Mm. Yes. Certainly my grandfather bore no malice at all to the Germans, but a loathing of the Japanese. Mm. Yes, grandparents who refused to buy Nissan cars. Uh, quite fine with a Mercedes, but... Not buying yeah, yeah, genuinely, they well, certainly in, in my family's experience, the, the two men that literally served in the conflict thought the Germans were just like us, but were just attempting to were just doing, attempting to live in difficult circumstances, much like themselves. Whereas the Japanese, murderous dogs, murderous dogs, weird thing, yeah, it is a bizarre thing. 
Uh, yeah, one of the saddest books I've ever read is uh, Kamikaze, which is just uh, collected letters of Kamikaze pilots who are all basically young men, uh, just saying things like, I don't really want to die for the Emperor, I want to go home to my mum. It's one of the saddest things I've ever read. God. So, yeah, because they're basically poor conscripted kids who are told, you will, you will go fly this plane into that missile carrier for the good of the nation. Yeah. Can, can I not Kill myself, please. Yeah. And if you don't kill yourself, we'll shoot you. <laughs> Potentially your whole family. For the glory oh. of the emperor. For the emperor. <laughs> for the emperor. But if it swings it for you, it is for the emperor. So sweetens the deal. <laughs> if I can sugar this pillar out, it is for this guy. Oh, old Hirohito. Look at him there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does look pretty happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want to make him sad, would you? Oh. Why do you want to do that to the Emperor, mate? Come on. But seriously, it's a really sad book. Yeah. Um, should we see what old John and Yoko are doing over a Double Fantasy? Meanwhile, in Double Fantasy. That's <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, so we we have Beautiful Boy, and then Yoko does her version, Beautiful Boys. But are there little toys? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this one. When I said earlier I really like Yoko's songs, this one goes on a bit. Yeah, and I came close to doing the voice, but then stopped. <laughs> Me too, because it's quite easy when you're singing along to this one. Yeah, because she's singing in a deep accent, and so it... it... <laughs> To the point where it almost sounds like she's going over the top with it herself. She's kind of almost putting more effects on it. And yeah, I don't think that's the case. Like, if you certainly, if you listen, I don't know what she sounds like nowadays, but if you listen to old, like, interviews with her, it's. Well, I mean, in fairness, she's talking in a, in a language that is not her first one. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, she's an interesting woman. I'd quite like to read like a decent biography of hers mm. and god knows one must exist but so if anybody listening to this can recommend a good one rather than a bad one those are the two main <laughs> flavors um can, uh, uh, dear uh, me by peter Ustinov. that's uh, not a very good yoko ono biography no i mean it's it's a corking biography but it's, it's not very good yoko ono biography. but it's his he he barely goes into any depth on yoko ono <laughs> He talks way, way more about um, oh, little oh, the detective Poirot. Poirot, damn it! That would, that would have worked way better if I could remember Poirot's name. <laughs> We're striking this from the conversation. He goes into so much more depth on Poirot than he does Yoko Ono. Poirot, mm. not Ono. Oh no, Poirot. Yeah, Beautiful Boys is... Because yeah, it almost feels like it should be the spiritual sequel to Beautiful Boy. And it's like, oh, no, that's disappointing. Well, and also, given as they, they, couldn't, they couldn't think of two titles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're very close to each other. Stick an S on the end. Yeah, <laughs> boys. Got, got, it's plural, isn't it? Got yourself a different song title. And before that as well, you got, which we referred to as Goodnight Sweetheart earlier, which is Yes, I'm Your Angel, the one that's... Sounds like it's from 
Weimark Germany. Did one goes tra la 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 la? And oh I, god! As soon as somebody's <laughs> actually singing tra la 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 la, which I always have an issue of these kind of songs thrown in at random on an album which doesn't sound like this, where it's like, who's this song for? It's for John Lennon. I know, I know, uh, it's actually for him. Because I, I think the title, Yes, I'm Your Angel, is probably very much how they were viewing their relationship. Or they just go ahead and say, I'm your googly woogly, or I'm your cuddle bear. Because you're just stealing words from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. What? <laughs> I'm, you're my little snoochy face, and you're my teddy bear. Well, that's Lion in Winter. <laughs> and I'm your teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but Yes, I'm Your Angel, that kind of um, that old school vaudevillian style in an album that has no other sound like that. I've, I mean, some people might find that as a nice little treat, a little like, ooh, this is this one doesn't sound like the others. For me, it's like, a, why is this here? This just stops the album dead and it feels incredibly self-indulgent. And I am aware I'm saying the word self-indulgent, surprisingly, to do with John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Mm. Mm. It's quite clever, though, really, isn't it? That she managed to write the theme tune for a sitcom about travelling through time before that sitcom was there, even released. She's terribly conceptual, Adam. Yeah. She'd even more time travelling, yet more time travelling, which is really what the title of that programme should have been. <laughs> time travel begets more time travel. How on earth did that get made? How did it have so many series? Yes, I mean, how do you make that premise? Last yawn out over. Well, when Nicholas Lindhurst is banging on your door at four in the morning saying, John, you've got to keep it going, man. I've got bills to pay. Nicholas Lindhurst is, is the poster boy for a certain type of actor. And EastEnders is absolutely crawling with them as well that go I refuse I am going to talk like this in every interview I ever do just so that everybody knows what a bloody great actor I am because I don't sound like this in the programme with which I'm associated fine Nicholas whatever may I call you Nick no fine Nicholas Yeah, oh yes, it's, it's every every man has a woman who loves him. That's um, abracadabra. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Abra, abracadabra. Every man has every, Yoko Ono who no, loves no. him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, mean, I like every man has a woman who loves him. I think it's. And it also has a bit of a sound of broken English. Well, you also English. like Abra Abra Cadabra. I do. I really do. Uh, and I do want to reach out and grab you. And it, this has a sound for me of Marion Faithful's broken English. Yes. It has that simple vibe. So, I can see actually, that. Actually, I will say for all of Yoko's songs, even the ones I'm not overly keen on, every song sounds different. Oh, yeah. The woman, That's all works. The woman has got so many ideas. Yeah. And because I, I, I have been meaning for years now to actually do the proper listens and the readings on Yoko Ono. Right, haven't got around right, to it. Right. I've heard bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. Can't say I've instantly liked it, all of it, but I've never been bored by it. I've always found that's really fascinating. Can't Couldn't say I'm liking it, but uh, no, no, yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're enjoyable songs, but they're all interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
So, yeah, I, I will at some point actually do some due diligence on Dear Yoko. And as though, uh, just in case we didn't understand the point of the record, he writes a song called Dear Yoko. <laughs> Adam, yeah. I'm sensing a theme. I'm a bit worried that you're not actually picking up the subtext to this record, which is that I'm actually deliriously, deliriously happy. So I've written Dear Yoko just to hammer down the point that I, John Lennon, am in love with her, Yoko Ono, and me boy, Sean. Huh? <laughs> me happy. Ah! <laughs> Terrific. More power to you, John. <laughs> yeah. Lovely stuff. Yeah, and to that end, yeah, you also you know, got woman on there, which I again I think it's very simple I love song melody. Yeah, and sometimes we and we said previously that sometimes it's just the simplest love songs are the most effective and just Yeah, and I actually think it works better than some of the other ones though, because it's got it's a more universal Yeah. I mean, obviously it's about Yoko Ono, but <laughs> you couldn't on your wedding day, sing Dear Yoko. No, you couldn't play exactly that. what I was about to say. You couldn't play Dear Yoko in good conscience <laughs> at your wedding. Unless, of course, you were marrying Yoko Ono, which seems unlikely. Not impossible, but unlikely. Or Yoko Applebaum, who works down the lane. What? <laughs> There's got to be someone called Yoko Applebaum. Your go-to surname was Applebaum. <laughs> we return you to McCartney 2. <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam, you messaged me the other day saying you love McCartney 2, but there's one song you actively dislike. <laughs> Am I right in guessing it's <laughs> bogey music? You've absolutely nailed it there, Michael. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head. I think bogey music is an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> Strong words. It's crap, though, isn't it? It is. It's uh, it, It's just a silly... Dance. I knew I didn't like it from the words, dig that bogey beat, and I thought, nope, I'm out. I'm out. I will dig whatever beats I goddamn please. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically just a silly boogie dance song where he's heavily treated vo- vocals just go boogie music boom, boom, doo, doo, doo. it's like some weird warped rock and roll boogie song it's just yeah it's the one I think like the same with John Lennon sounds very throwback this one sounds like some deranged throwback yeah it's one that I think could be just cut from the album entirely and uh, I would yeah. ha- I'd be perfectly happy with that yeah, because even on the bonus tracks, you have Check My Machine, which is, again, it's more, more temporary secretary-style songs. It's just him repeating the refrain, Check My Machine, which I believe was the first song he recorded in this session. And it's very much a, let me just say one refrain, keep repeating it, make some music around it. That would have fit in a bit better than bogey music. Yeah, and I would have been perfectly happy with more yeah. that sounded a bit like temporary secretary. Yeah, yeah. Bogey music is just—it's it's, it's a bit of piffle. <laughs> yeah, it's just some bobbins. It is bobbins. Uh, but then you got dark room. Uh, but yeah, dark room. It's—it's it's, again. It's slightly sinister. Uh, so, <laughs> as he is in, inviting 
uh, a person could be any person into his dark room to do yeah. what potentially develop um, photographs develop photographs in his dark room or um, play Tetris or... yeah or uh, you know test test the efficacy of a torch mm. in his dark room in his dark room. Yeah, and a number of these songs, I think, as well, they do sound like he's just come up with a line or a few <laughs> phrases, which he's just said, like, that sounds all right, I feel I'm just going to press the demo button, and uh, in my dark room, pew, 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 pew. oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Just, yeah, that's so, right, yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. Uh, cut um, and print. <laughs> just, Check yeah, no, send that in, and, uh, yeah, get it, get it licensed. <laughs> <laughs> Make a few quid off that, yep. <laughs> I really like Dark Room. I think it's again, it's 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 emblematic of the whole record, isn't it? It's just mm. he was experimenting. That's yeah, what it, you're listening to. You're listening to a snapshot in time rather than a, a polished, cohesive thing. Yeah, and Dark Room is very emblematic of this. Is not a man who sat down and wrote Dark Room. You can tell he literally sat at a keyboard and just noodled around. There's a place you can go. Yeah, all right. So that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah There's a place you can go in Liverpool. Now I've used that. Uh-huh. I've used that already. Yeah. And I, I don't mean this as a bad way at all. This sounds like it was recorded in one take in about twenty minutes, and I like that. I think. Yeah. I like the charm of that. I think there's a lot of there's the album is full of ramshackle knockabout charm. He had. Yeah. He was experimenting. He was playing. He was list. He was desperately trying to listen to other stuff and maybe stay relevant. I don't know, but yeah. it's it yeah. works for me. Yeah, no, for me, and you know, I'm sure to some people listening to it, it could sound tossed off in the kind of like well, that. Just sounds half finished, half for kind of bother with that. I can kind of get on board with that. I can see your point of view, but for me, it works. And I, yeah, I if you're like, but you're listening to a sort of a questing creative intelligence that's that's playing with ideas, and if you if you can handle that rather than I, I need this to sound, I don't know, like meatloaf. Then you won't like it. In my dark room. <laughs> think, it, think of something that sounds polished. Think of something that sounds polished. <laughs> Probably meatloaf. <laughs> hey, there's none more polished than Jim Steinman. That's what I mean. And if, if, This album does not have the Steinman guarantee on it. It does not and, at and all. I can say no kinder words for it. <laughs> the... They stamp it on the front cover. Jim Steinman had nothing to do with this record. Jim Steinman does not approve of this album. Well, he wouldn't. He would. He was absolutely furious. I've heard that Jim Steinman apparently dresses everything. Like you think he would? Exactly like you think he would. And yes. continues to do so to this day. Wonderful. <laughs> Just Google him. Right. Uh, and then McCartney 2 finishes with... Um, one of these days, which again, it, it goes one back to the more. Days. It's more of the waterfall sound. Sparse, yeah, it's lovely. Sparse wistfulness, which is quite lovely. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a confirmed fan of the closing. And I think it's a nice sort of wistful number to end an album on. Yeah. Um, you open with yeah, coming up awesome. and you close with this. I think that's. There's, there's a nice sort of poetry to that. Yeah, because coming up, so just a, a barnstorm of an opener, and then this is a very uh, 
All right, lads, yeah, we've just... all had a great time, but that'll do. Back to Liverpool. Yes, again, I've, I used the word again, and it's wistful, and just the lines about, uh, yeah, like you said, the final line is, and breathe fresh air ever after. It's like, oh, what a lovely what? line of sentiment what? to close on. What? Again, what? yeah, like you say, a beautiful sentiment to end on. Yeah. And again, it's like Waterfalls, it's just very sparse. It's basically just him at an electric piano. And uh, yeah, it's, it's mostly his voice untreated. Uh, it's just, again, he's not, it's not a song directed to anyone in particular. It's just a ge- general, you know, it's not even a love song. It's more of a, it's just a hopeful song. Yes, yes, it is. It's, it's quite a forward facing song, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I um, I I think it's really lovely. Yeah, it's a, a, really it's, lovely. It's closing a record that I was very pleased to have discovered. Mm. I don't think it's it's one of the best records ever made, but it's one that I I really enjoyed spending time with. Yeah, I did absolutely. Yeah, and I think just to uh, return one last time to Double Fantasy because I feel like we have given it slightly shorter shrift than McCartney too. Because you could probably tell we enjoyed it more, uh, but. Uh, it finishes with Hard Times Are Over, which is another Yoko song. So I think there's actually more Yoko songs on it than there are Lennon songs. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, fair. But in fairness, he'd written, you know, two classics. Mm. And in fairness, if you've written two songs, which I think stand the test of time, like I think yeah, people, people do play them at weddings. I think people do play them like yeah. around the birth of their children I think those those are songs that have almost that have sort of um, infiltrated popular culture in a way that nothing on McCartney 2 has no no absolutely not no. so if you've written those sure phone in the rest it doesn't really matter because yeah, you've written but... them but it doesn't mean that the rest of Double Fantasy is a particularly satisfying listen. You've got his wife's right. half, which is quite interesting. There's a lot going on, even if it's not nice to listen to. Mm. Or if it sounds like a, the soundtrack to a bizarre sitcom. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I, didn't, I don't hate Double Fantasy, but I think Double Fantasy is quite meh. Yes, I would agree. I, I, I agree absolutely what you said about McCartney too. Will it go down as a long-term favourite of mine? Probably not over the years, but as you say, the last month or so since you suggested it to listen to, I've really enjoyed spending time with it. Exactly, Discovering yeah. it. I probably will, off the back of it, go listen to some more Silo McCartney work. I, I might find a lot do. of it wanting in, in comparison. But that's the beauty Because uh, it won't it, be the same it? vibe. That, uh, that's yeah, the, which... that's the, the, the nice part of the journey. I've, I mean, I've really enjoyed... I've only listened to it, I think, twice. But I've really enjoyed McCartney 3, for example. Mm. And I, yeah, I think McCartney that. 1 sounds even more rough and ready than this. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be listening to McCartney 1. I've given McCartney 3 a few listens now. Well, it's got uh, Maybe I'm Amazed I, on it, which is a bar yeah. And other songs too. Oh, yeah, they're also there. It's one yeah. of those albums. Yeah, and McCartney 3, you know, I don't think it's as, certainly as good as McCartney 2, but it's certainly a vast improvement on McCartney's last couple of solo albums. So Yeah, and I think it's a it's a, it's his um Elder Statesman album. Yeah, and what's quite remarkable on it. There are shades of Black Star on it, I think. Mm. 
what I think quite remarkable as well, because there's certainly one song, uh, Slide In, which a lot of people in like um, heavier music circles have been saying, one of the hardest riffs that came out in 2020 came from Paul McCartney. Because, <laughs> yeah, because Slide In has a genuinely great hard riff on it. Because Paul McCartney will do whatever he wants. You know, wherever his, wherever his muse takes him is what he will do. And there, there is a sort of, there's so much to admire about somebody that's that sort of questing mm. in their desire to make music that's interesting to them and them alone. And the beauty of being, uh, the same is true in 1980, but the beauty of being Lennon or McCartney is that you are beholden to nobody. Oh, you, you've you're already got, encouraged to do whatever you want. Yeah, you've got, and to a lesser extent, Bowie as well, certainly in the latter days. You can do whatever you like because your legacy is assured, whatever happens. Oh, yeah. And so, if anything, yeah, that ball... didn't quite work, but you did give us that, so we don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, whatever happens, well, you were always in the Beatles. Yeah. You, you always got that. But I think, yeah, I'm, the sentence that sums it up is I, I enjoyed spending time more with Paul McCartney's output than I did Lennon and Ono's. Yeah, I, I won't. Like, I've already gone and purchased McCartney 2 on vinyl. Can't claim I'll be running to buy Double Fantasy to put in my collection. Well, I already uh, again, have Double Fantasy, but I, um, I've got my eye on a copy of McCartney 2 on eBay. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I genuinely really enjoy the Yoko songs on here. Apart from Woman and Beautiful Boy, I find the John Lennon songs on here pretty forgettable, if I'm honest. For me, please don't come at me. Beatles purists, yeah, particularly um, purists as well, which you? Oh yeah, um, but what I, which I'm always intrigued by is the question of if he hadn't been killed, what would have John Lennon gone on to do musically? Would it have been more experimental, or would he have softened to the point of absolute mediocrity, where it's just like, oh, another covers album, John. Oh, or would he have just gone full tilt insane and just like started bringing out an album like every month and just him and Yoko hold up somewhere in the studio creating wonderful noises and things like that. Uh, or would he have gone like full Richie Blackmore and just headed so firmly into the past that it's just him and his wife in his shed playing a lute? That also, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all you think. And, and I they, think they all could be plausible. I think it's possible. I mean, nobody knows. But I genuinely think it's, it's plausible that Lennon would have just stopped making records. Yeah, he may have become a, you know, I'm going to make an album every 10 years, basically, when the yeah. mood takes me, when I've got something to say, and then I'll go away again for a while. And, you know, more power to his elbow. That's what he would have wanted to do. I mean, certainly a lot of them, a lot of musicians of that that status mm. do ultimately do that. Yeah. They just come out of retirement saying, well, I, I, I've been playing around for years in my home studio and I finally had enough stuff i had enough enough to say enough ideas and enough songs but i'm under you know there isn't zero pressure i contact the recording studio, the, the record company and they go please yes 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 when when how many songs just six that's fine we can work with that yep yep pad out a bit uh, yes i'll do yeah, but yeah, and it just it does just make double fantasy that much sadder as a proposition. Just that it isn't an album of absolute joy, and it's a definitely they're both snapshots of where they were in their lives, weren't they? And yeah, I think McCartney'd been reasonably happy and reasonably settled for quite a long time. 
Mm. And so, a bit apart from his professional circumstances, it wasn't necessarily... And he'd been brought up in settled, happy circumstances as well. Yeah, I, I think McCartney too worked well as a bit of a musical shake-up for him as well, to actually just go out and try something different at that period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was the shot in the arm that he needed. Yeah. So, right, if we're going to... I think it's absolutely clear in this grudge match of Beatle, ex-Beatle versus ex-Beatle, McCartney wins this round... But yes. what would you say what would you say on Double Fantasy would be your favourite track? I really like Kiss Kiss. I do. That would can that as we've done previously, can we just agree that Beautiful Boy is the best song, but Kiss 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 then is like the the silver medal for what I'd also like to no, listen the to. One, the one where if you if you take the I would say woman as well is mm. It is also a given because they have their yeah. It's like the waitresses in the the Christmas album, yeah. isn't it? it yeah. You've got to take it out with those two. If the, if their status is assured, for me it is kiss kiss. Oh, oh yes, yes, oh yes, and not least because it ends on a bit of blue. Oh yeah, right, and then McCartney too. Genuinely harder. Hmm. But I think um, because it's now attached to lovely memories of my daughter <laughs> dancing, it's got to be coming up. And, and I agree. Because when I listen to it, it's just this is so much fun. Yes, I would go with that. It's the one. It's the song that's been stuck in my head the most after listening to it. But I um, think Waterfalls is 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 a pearl. Yeah. Waterfalls is lovely. One of these days is lovely, and I really enjoy those three heavily electronic songs in the middle from the um, low some the low album yes the, the low his, album his berlin yeah. trilogy on three songs With, is three stuck songs. in the middle yeah. of yeah 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 but yeah really enjoy those but yeah no i'm i'm really uh really happy to finally maybe listen to these albums well i mean they so were new like, to me they were broadly new to me as well it was just i was sort of inspired to listen to it and and yeah. put it on and went this is nothing like i was expecting at all. No, exactly, yeah. So I'm very happy to keep McCartney 2 at the party. We can play the odd track of Double Fantasy here and there. Uh, we'll just save We'll just save those three songs for, uh, yeah. for, for basically for the birth of a child, um, a wedding, or a just, just, just getting down and dirty. <laughs> So is it that time, Adam, that we spin that merry spin old wheel? That goddamn wheel. <laughs> Mike. What's it say? What's it say? Oh, heavens, Michael. Oh. Well, well blow me down. <laughs> blow the man down. So, Adam, I, I've had a change of heart here. I had one all lined up. Yeah, you've been teasing pick... me with it for uh, a week. <laughs> I was going to pick something from the year of 2020 because I thought, let's bring this puppy right up to speed. He's given me a cockeyed look already. But I thought we'd agree that virtually nothing <laughs> of value took place in 2020. <laughs> just, you, just because you say it in that voice doesn't make it so. So I was going to bring something new to the party, but... <laughs> Over the New Year weekend, well, New Year's Day, the very sad news came out that the hip-hop 
world had lost a very important artist uh, with the death of MF Doom. Oh, now this is interesting. I saw a lot of this on Twitter, and there were an awful lot of um, well, poets that were mm. basically talking about the the passing of MF Doom and how this was that, that this is an artistic tragedy that this man was. It, it is just one man, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. the um, the the uh, shredder mask. Yeah, the, the, it started off as a Doctor Doom mask, then became the Gladiator mask. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Metal Fingers Doom. So uh, I wanted to pick an album of his, and one which I like. Uh, I think it doesn't get quite as much uh, critical favour, but I really like it. It's his 2009 album, Born Like This, and. It'll be it'll be a fascinating one to talk about because MF Doom had a very uh, interesting life story. So he, he was born in London, went to the US, uh, started in, off in a band with his brother. His brother was uh, tragically killed, and then after going into um, basically deep depression and um, hiding for years, he reemerged as MF Doom, almost mm. literally like rising from the ashes as this new creation. And just create and just had so many pseudonyms he performed under. Became he was very much, um, well, both the rapper's rapper and the hip hop producer's producer. MF Doom seemed to cross boundaries musically where people into like, I mean, to be fair, most a lot of people were into metal and hip hop, you know, like yeah, I am. There is crossover there, but um, it does seem that MF Doom just had a bit more of that alternative music crossover as well so people don't necessarily listen to hip-hop would listen to mf doom and there's something about that character that creation uh you know the pantomime of it all in a way or theatricality i think is a better word oh, but yeah go. you can tell it's a hip-hop album because it's got 21 tracks on it yeah they're quite short though yeah <laughs> so we'll get through but uh, tell yeah, me I'm... that none of those 21 tracks are skits uh, no, not really. A couple, oh, a couple of them. Actually, no, no, no. A couple of them are. Thinking about it, a couple of them are. Well, track uh, three is just called Ball Skin. It's a great song, Ball Skin. <laughs> finally, finally, somebody's prepared to address the elephant in the room, which is the unique properties of Ball Skin. Ball Skin, yes. Yeah, I feel, already, already feel like I've gone too deep into MF Doom. But yes, I thought, uh, given the sad news about his uh, passing... How old was he? Uh, he was 49. Oh man, that's no age at all. What was it? No, no, don't know. It was, uh, it was a surprise. Well, it was a surprise. <laughs> um, <geez. Of> grace. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, it, uh, word came out on New Year's Eve, uh, on his social media pages, uh, his wife posted saying he'd passed away on Halloween. So it'd been two months of just silence and they haven't actually announced the cause of death yet. At oh. time of recording, which is January 2021. Wow. So three months, no news. Yeah, well, two months, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we're starting to get into Doom already. But, yeah, uh, so next time we'll be listening to Born Like This by MF Doom. Right, we'll just wrap this up. So thank you for another successful party, everyone. I hope, you know, our little Beatles punch-up. Well, it wasn't really punch-up. It was just, it was, it was mostly lavishing McCartney 2 with praise and, Saying, yeah, yeah, well, it was all right. Yeah, I mean, it was the sound of two men of no consequence broadly agreeing for... <clears throat> aggressively. At, well, at this point, two hours? Two hours. This might be the longest party yet. 
Uh, there's two albums to cover. What are we going to do? So thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you are enjoying us, we would uh, deeply, deeply appreciate a like and subscribe and, and a review if you were so inclined to leave one on your podcast repository of choice. They are it's like gold dust to us, this stuff. Uh, especially positive ones, please. Uh, no, no, exclusively positive ones. Yeah, just, just don't bother if you don't like it. Yeah, just, why would you waste your time? Oh, in fairness, if somebody didn't like it, I want God's name have they made it to the end. Yeah, it's true. In order to hear this missive. It's, it's, your, own, it's your own fault by now, isn't it? So, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us to tell us how shit we are, um, you can go. Yeah, we're well, here. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Party Listen. We are on Facebook, Listening Party Pod. If you just look us up, uh, if you want to email us for any reason, that seems so antiquated these days. We are, well, at... we're, and once again, we are not affiliated with the more successful Listening Party, being run by the man from the Charlatans. It happened with the Bowie thing as well. Somebody more well known. Oh yes, back there, Mark R- Riley bastard, pipping us at the post. Was it Mark Riley or Radcliffe? It's one it of them. Riley. Mark The one Riley. that was in the fall. Riley. Riley. Anywho, before I get too angry about Mark Riley again, I, I'm quite well disposed to him. Yeah, uh, a, you, he seems like a very nice man. <laughs> you can also email us at listenpartypod at gmail.com. And until next time when we will be celebrating the life career and the album Born Like This by MF Doom, we will bid you good night. Good night.